When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. You're supposed to be reading me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And if you're not, what can I do? I will hate you forever. But listen to me now. I am now on WABC, and you can hear me every Sunday from 1 to 2. I would like to tell you about a friend of mine. Broadway's Court, C-O-R-T, Court Theater, was just renamed to honor James Earl Jones. He is my friend. I love Jimmy. We have done many dinners together. We have partied at home with his late wife. I have been backstage with him with his son, Flynn, who dressed him. He who voiced, this is CNN. I saw in a dressing room in his drawers. I know James Earl Jones. I want to tell you about him. In 87, his baby, frightened by Daddy's 1987 two-sided comedy, tragedy, smiling, non-smiling award, turned the scowling side to the wall. He was scared. This is the same grown-up kid who is now dressing him in dressing rooms. Once, after a Pulitzer, after he had four Oscars, and he was halfway through a cookie in my apartment, this Darth Vader sound explained to me what it was like to do Driving Miss Daisy on Broadway. He said, we did it, no makeup. If I'm shiny, they just powder me. We do this with no car, just the wheel. The show runs 90 minutes, no intermission. So I said, no intermission? What do you do if you need to pee? And he said, you crawl over someone and you shut up. Okay. I was in his small dressing room. He had a wall mirror, a makeup table, towels, powder. There were busy gnomes helping him. An adjoining cubicle next to his dressing room had a sofa so he could rest. Flattened against the wall, I said to him, Listen, I'm afraid to get in your way. He said, Don't worry. When my cue comes, if you're in my way, somebody will shove you out of the way. Visitors signed his guest book, and he said to me, You know, I'm a late-night person. I watch TV. When I'm working, I stay in my New York City apartment. Matinee's day, I take a massage. I don't go out. We bring food in. Forever, I have lived in the same upcountry compound. My office is a building nearby, and I do the treadmill in my gym, and a lady comes in and does the cooking. This famous voice no longer speaks 
on the phone. I tried calling him a few times, and he was telling me not the phone. I can only tell you thanks to Broadway for the new James Earl Jones Theater. Well, I'm going to go from one huge name to another. I'm going to tell you about our ex-governor, Andrew Cuomo. He never played nice in the years he was in the government house, but he has just sent me flowers, which means he is now being much more nicer. After Andrew Cuomo filed a lawsuit against his sexual harassment allegations, I brought him home and I asked him what friends stood by him. And he said to me, nobody, not one person. He said this was tough, traumatizing. Biden, he said, my friend for 20 years, didn't bother to learn the details. He immediately said, Cuomo's got to go. Biden has had troubles year before, and I stood behind him. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. It was now heartbreaking to see him trash me without reading one page of what they were telling about me, without making one phone call to me. So I said, what about everybody else? What about Pelosi? And Cuomo said to me, please, I know her 30 years. Her daughter worked for me. Obama, he's been tough, not nice. You know, when troubles come, you like to think you're different. Guess what? You're not. Your enemies and your haters accumulate. These are words coming out of Andrew Cuomo. He said, Schumer, Gillibrand, pals working in the state, friends I respected, they all fell like dominoes. The instant you lose your power, heartless politicians, haters, read the tea leaves. You're suddenly dead. You're over. Politicians grab another piece of meat. The phrase political friends becomes an oxymoron. So I said to him, Andrew, isn't it, wasn't it, partly your own tough, rough personality that helped do you in? He said, okay. So you might say I'm not warm and fuzzy. But what politician is? They're all tough. It takes being tough to get there. Maybe my duality started when my father was no longer governor. Mario, I saw my father hurt. His vulnerabilities were exposed. When he was governor, they were all great. When he wasn't, they broke his heart. The press then crucified me because I was a kid and I was his campaign manager. So, in those days, I learned not to expose a weakness, not to show my inner self. You know why? Because they remember. 
and it's used against you. A reaction becomes, now we know where to hurt you, how to kill you. So me, I said, he's sitting in my living room. I said, Andrew, did all of this ever occur to you that the people against you were maybe because this was just your own ego coming through? And he said, I'm Italian. I'm tough. I'm strong. I've reacted to this new found a treatment. Also, I know not to make that mistake again. My old fights with the press were because I pushed to get things done. So there was resentment, yes. My job was what? Just to sit back and do nothing? I helped redo JFK and LaGuardia, whom Biden called the Third World Airport. I pushed to end the Second Avenue subway, which had been stalled 50 years. I helped bring in the Marriage Equality Act. You think that all happens for being sweet, for being passive? No, it doesn't. I focused on getting a job done, not socializing or going to parties. Aren't leaders, legislators, regulators supposed to bring the populace optimism, confidence? People are scared in these mean, angry times. The ones that get elected must learn to stand for something. There are no excuses, he said. There is no hearing that we just can't get things done. We're elected to fight for people, and I was not willing to fail or give up. There was five-minute break. He took a sip of my red wine, and then, I am sorry for one thing. I'm sorry I hadn't more time for family. Working seven days a week cost me heavily. I have to tell you I missed a lot of my life, a lot of personal life, a lot of warmth, a lot of love. My wish now was that I should have been there more for my family. Okay, so tell me, Andrew, what are your future plans? He said, I'm a lawyer. I can rep clients and poor corporations, finance, government relations, real estate people. I am capable of earning money. I'll express my opinion in the next few weeks. But right now, nice, well-meaning, hard-working hoko is your best alternative. And he went on to say, look, my interest is public service. There are no term limits. So guess what? I don't care what anybody thinks. I can make another go in four years. They will know me as someone who delivers. And who knows? In four years, could be there will be nobody to beat me. Also, who knows? Maybe by then, I'll be sweeter. So, okay, Andrew, meanwhile, might there be another new woman in your life? 
His answer, no. There was a quick beat, and he said, but let it be known, I am available. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now going to speak to my longtime friend, James Haspel. He is Marilyn, was Marilyn Monroe's longest time friend. He was her photographer. He is going to tell me about the Netflix Blonde, which is on September 28th and is another documentary about her. James Haspel. On the line is my friend whom I've known for 5,000 years, James Haspel. He's always known as Marilyn Monroe's longtime closest friend. I would like to ask you, why is there now another documentary on Marilyn Monroe? Why? Well, I think uh, I have an original thought about this. We think of uh, the Eiffel Tower as art and certain operas and ballets as art. I think Marilyn was human art. And I think that's why she transcends everything that's said about her over the years, which is usually negative uh, and usually false, because these things are said by people that never met her, uh, who are saying it to gain money. And I think literally she is human art. She has the most extraordinary figure, a gorgeous face, and a personality to match. How many, how many documentaries and films have there been about there Marilyn? Been, in, in the United States of America alone, there have been more than 40. 40? 40 documentaries and films about Marilyn Monroe? Absolutely, and that's not counting European films and television programs. It's not counting Broadway plays. There have been Broadway plays about her. It's not counting ballets that have been about her and operas that have been about her. When did Marilyn pass away? In August of 1962. What do you know that we don't about her passing away? Well, I'm not so sure that I'm the only one that knows this. There is a book that came out in 2021. The very bold title is Bombshell, The Night That Bobby Kennedy Killed Marilyn Monroe. There was a, a detective named Fred Otash that had bugged Marilyn's house uh, back in the day, and he listened in uh, on the night that she died and claims that he heard her die and that she was suffocated with a pillow by Robert Kennedy. Or should I just say the senator? I don't care what you say. Go ahead. Go on further. Okay. Well, that story, to elaborate on it, Back in the day, there was somebody that I then trusted and trust implicitly now that I can't name out of discretion, but that I trusted, who told me that he had conversation with an executive at NBC television, and the executive at NBC television told him that that executive had listened to a 42-minute uh, voice-activated tape that Otesh had put the bug into Marilyn's house, and... The 42 minutes are on the day that she died, coming and going in and out of the room. Each time that she would come in, the noise would activate the tape. And that on that tape can be heard the voices of Marilyn Monroe, the senator, and actor Peter Lawford. And that during an argument that Monroe is having with the senator, he says to Peter Lawford, this is audible on the tape, give me a pillow, hand me a pillow. And then you hear the muffled sounds of Marilyn being smuggled, uh, excuse me, 
I just lost the word. I'm 84 years old. In any event, uh, we don't care. Go ahead. Go meant. ahead. Go ahead. Smothered. And what's relevant here is that it, uh, it is my understanding that an autopsy will give you the same result from either smothering or being smothered or sleeping pill deaths. One has to add into that that the empty bottles of pills found in her room, there was no residue of any pills in her stomach. The night This is from the autopsy, which is a public document. And uh, my feeling about it personally, having known her for eight years, was that everybody involved in this fiasco paid the price. I mean by that that Robert Kennedy, his brother, was assassinated the following year. Robert Kennedy was assassinated five years later, and Peter Lovett lived a miserable life for the rest of his life. So there's nobody to go after because they all paid the price. What? Tell me, I know the story, but because I know you so long, but tell everyone, how did you actually meet Marilyn? All right, I was a 16-year-old fan. Marilyn came to New York to film the skirt scene for The Seven Year Itch, which I actually watched the five hours of filming myself. And she was staying at the St. Regis Hotel. And I went to the hotel hoping to see her in person. And I myself never stand in a crowd. I stand away from the crowd. But there was a crowd at the St. Regis waiting for her. And I knew that when she appeared, I would know she was there because I'd hear the crowd and the noise. At 7 o'clock on the night that I was there, suddenly the roar of the crowd happened, and there she was in the middle of the crowd. And I made my way through the crowd because I wanted to see her up close. When I was right in front of her, I'm, well, I am six feet tall. She was five, five and a half. So I, I was surprised to be looking down at her. Somehow I didn't expect that. And as I looked at her, the word that came into my head immediately was angel. That was my reaction, and it stayed with me till this day. Uh, I'm not saying that she was an angel. I'm not saying that she didn't have dilemmas in life and didn't behave like any other human being, but that is my reaction to her. In any event, she moved on from the crowd, got into a car, and as she closed the car door, she turned to the crowd and said, I'll be back at 9 o'clock. I was back at 9 o'clock. There was a crowd at 9 o'clock. When she did come back at 9 o'clock, there were autographs signed and pictures taken, and I didn't own a camera, and I never collected an autograph in my life. But when they were finished, I said to her, Miss Monroe, would you give me a kiss? Oh, my God, you were 16. I was 16 and, and ignorant and naive, and I think she reacted to the crowd, because the crowd, who hadn't dared ask such a thing, suddenly there were moans and, and uh, positive sounds coming out of the crowd, and she kissed me. Oh, so it okay. started with a kiss. It yeah. wasn't the only kiss I ever got from her. Okay. But it started with a kiss. And uh, to this day, I'm besotted with her. And people have said to me, interviewers over the years, have asked me why I'm still involved. And as I say back to them, because you, meaning the interviewer or the, whoever, you keep her in front of me. She's unforgettable because she's always there. Okay, 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 okay. She did certain things that the rest of us human beings, us mortals, also do. And to a therapist, she went to a hairdresser. Did you schlep with her? How did you do all that? Yes, well, her, her man Friday, 
the fellow who drove her around and took her clothing to the cleaners and whatnot, his name was Peter Leonardi, he shared information with me. So he, he told me one day where her therapist was and who her therapist was. So I wound up going up to that neighborhood. I, I knew that she went to the therapist five days a week. Two of those days she went at 10.30 in the morning. Three of those days she went at 4.30 in the afternoon. So if I could be there, I was. And out of this came uh, an acceptance on her part. It, it eventually didn't bother her at all that I was there. In fact, she looked forward to seeing me. And one day, coming out of the therapy session, she hailed a cab, and I was right there, and she opened the taxi door and said, Jimmy, would you like to ride with me? That was the beginning of many taxi rides with her, uh, all over New York, literally, and uh, the beginning of a friendship that grew stronger. And what I mean by this in part is that I had no power then. I couldn't say, can I get into the cab with you? She had the power. She had all of the power. It's like somebody wanting to know you, Cindy. They know who you are. That doesn't mean you want to know them. But you and I met 42 years ago. Watch your yeah. mouth. Watch your mouth. Yeah, what it. What, well, well, forget it. you were forget a baby, it. and I, I was oh, better, changing better, your diaper. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you something. This Netflix thing, which is called Blonde and is on on September 28th, was produced by Brad Pitt. It stars Anna de Armas, and she's topless in 90% of the movie. They got panned. It got panned. Why did they do this, and why is it getting panned, and why Anna de Armas? Well, let's go back to 2000, uh, 2000, the year 2000. Blonde, the very same project, was produced for CBS as a miniseries, it was on CBS on May 13th and 14th of 2000, starring an actress named Poppy Montgomery. This new blonde, they spent $22 million producing it. It was produced three years ago and held back, perhaps because it's as awful as the critics said it was or is. Uh, who knows why? Not only have there been 40 movies, there'll be 41, 42, and 43 as time goes by. There'll be movies made about Marilyn after I'm dust. Uh, it's just inevitable. Okay. I, I, under, I understand all that. What you have to explain, and I know you've done books on Marilyn. I know you're known as her closest friend for all these years. I know you've done photographs of her. But what do you do with the skirt blowing up picture the famous picture with her with her dress going up do you have that no no because i didn't have a camera that night oh so, so oh. i did not take any i i stood there uh across that was the, the seven year itch wasn't it yeah yeah five hours they shot the scene 15 times and it was filmed from midnight until four or five in the morning so I witnessed that whole thing. I also, by the way, was in the audience when she sang to John Kennedy. Oh, let's go and to that. Yeah. Okay. You might want to know. Yes, I do want all, to know. Yeah. What? All of the stories that say that after she sang to Kennedy, she went to the Hotel Carlisle with him for a tryst. That's BS. And I'll tell you why. Her escort that night was Isidore Miller, her ex-father-in-law. She had been divorced from Arthur Miller. But her father-in-law adored her, and she took him as her escort 
to the Kennedy thing. When that was over, they went to, I forget the lady's name, they went to her house for an after party where all of the celebrities went, including Marilyn and Isidore. After that, she had her chauffeur, with her in the car, drive Isidore home to Brooklyn. When she got home at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was there. I met her at 4 a.m. on that night. No Carlisle, it's all BS. Oh, that's very, very interesting. What did you do with all your photographs of Marilyn Monroe? Well, over the, it's a funny story. I initially literally gave them away for publication. And then one day I realized, wait a minute, what am I doing here? I took these pictures. They have value. And why am I giving them an A? And the German magazine Der Spiegel. Yeah, I know. A picture of mine that they wanted to publish, and they did not want to pay me. And I said to their representative, Okay, you can have the picture for nothing if you give the magazine away on the newsstand. Oh. In other words, don't don't charge anything for it, and then you can have my picture for nothing. That was the first time I got paid for a picture. I understand. Tell me now, what was she like? I knew Marilyn. I mean, I didn't know her well, but I knew her because I did the life story of uh, the actress studio, Strasberg, and he was very close to her. So, of course, I met her. But tell me, what, in your view, was she like off camera? Well, I think it's a very interesting story that Marilyn Monroe, as known by the public, never existed. What I mean by that is that Marilyn Monroe was an invention of Norma Jean Mortensen's, uh, or Norma Jean DiMaggio or Miller, if you care to say. And uh, to go further on that, when I met her and got to know her, I had to let go of the fact that she was not Marilyn Monroe. She was a different person in, in real life. And a story about that, it only happened once for me. Uh, we are out taking a walk, and she has no makeup on, a kerchief over her hair, a very simple coat, slacks, and flat shoes. I'm walking her home. But I have someplace else to go, so I'm not joining her upstairs. I walk into her building, and we're standing outside of her building in the afternoon in, in daylight, having a bit of a conversation before we part. And a man walking a dog walks by. Because he's a neighborhood person, he knows that that's her. They're used to her. So he stops maybe six, seven, eight feet away, and he's just sitting there quietly with his dog on a leash watching her. And a friend of his walks by, and now they're talking, and he lets the friend know that's her. Now there are two. Eventually there are three and four. And I'm six feet tall. Marilyn was five, five and a half feet, as I said earlier. So I'm looking downward at her, and suddenly she begins to change. I never saw this before. I never saw it afterwards. Her head starts to tip backwards. Her eyes are litting, becoming lidded. Her voice is changing register to the voice of Marilyn Monroe. And she's becoming Marilyn Monroe in front of me because of this little crowd. Okay. In other words, she's giving them the gift of Marilyn Monroe, which is what they expect. Tell and me. She, yeah. she, well, let me finish it. She said to me, I think I have to go. And I said to her, I think you have to go, too. I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> what about the drugs? What do you mean by drugs? Well, she... She was on something. Oh, yes, yeah, she was on medications. They were prescribed medications. 
And as I said before, this woman who supposedly took 50 sleeping pills, how is it possible that the uh, autopsy doctor, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, did not find a single residue of any pill in her body? Well, this I don't know. I'm lucky I know your phone number, and I'm lucky I can talk to you, and I love you dearly, and we're supposed to be watching this thing, which is not supposed to be so great, but it's on Netflix, September 28. It's called Blonde. It was produced by Brad Pitt. It stars Anna de Armas, and she's topless in 90% of the movie. And thank you, James Haspel, for coming on with me, honey. Thank you. Be well. Bye. Bye-bye. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25-plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm now going to speak to James Patterson. He is the most prolific author in the United States of America. He might be actually the most prolific author this side of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His new book is called Blowback. Okay, so I am speaking to James Patterson, whose books, believe me, they're better than sex. I swear, I love your books. Tell me the steps to do a book. How does it begin? How do you get the idea? Uh, well, I have it in my office here somewhere, a big pile with a clever uh, title, Ideas. And I have literally hundreds of ideas. And when it's time, I'll sort of go through the list and, and see if something hits me right now. And then, and, and if the idea hits me, I'll, uh, I'll start an outline. Well, you're doing two books almost now at the same time because I've read one, and now we've got another one called Blowback, An American President Goes Insane. That's, yeah. that's a book Imagine that... Imagine that. <laughs> thank you. When did that go on sale? Uh, that just went on sale this week, so it's uh, it's been out a little, little less than a week. Who's the publisher? Little Brown. Tell me how this begins. How do you get this particular idea? Because this one goes into a lot of infinite detail. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, during the Cold War, and, and, and we were afraid of bombs getting dropped on the U.S., and there were a lot of sort of really good paranoid thrillers, the Manchurian Candidate and Seven Days in Maine and in May, in Maine and May, Fail Safe. And uh, I wanted to write one of those kinds of books for, for, for our period right now because uh, it, it's a crazy time in our history. And, and the idea of a, of an unbalanced leader, and God knows we've got enough of them around the world. We've got, yeah. you know, in Venezuela, Brazil, uh, Kim Jong, uh, Xi, Putin. So uh, I, I thought it'd be a scary idea, a believable idea for an American president uh, to be uh, to be kind of a, a little uh, brilliant, but off his rocker. Well, we've got one in the White House at this moment, but I don't even want to mention it. Okay. 
So it says the, the, the subtitle is An American President Goes Insane. It has a lot of detail. How do you get that exact detail to be correct? Because you've got CIA, you've got all kinds of stuff. How do you do that? Well, I have uh, over the years I got a lot of connections. I have people I can talk to in the FBI, CIA. Uh, I have some presidents that I've become friendly with, so I I can talk to President Clinton. I can talk to Hillary. I can talk to uh, President Bush. Um, so I, I, you know, I've had access, which I'm, I'm very fortunate to have that, and uh, uh, and the authenticity is important to me. Well, so after you write it to one of these people in a very high place. Read it first to make sure you didn't screw up anything? Uh, sometimes, but it is fiction, so we're allowed to screw up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Tell me now. I mean, I've interviewed, we've spoken before, and everybody knows you. Your books outsell the Bible. How did you begin your first book, honey? Oh, boy. I was, uh, uh, it was actually called the Thomas Behrman number. It was, I, I was very lucky I got it published when I was 26. Uh, won an Edgar uh, Award as the best first mystery. He was turned down by 31 publishers. <laughs> they won an Edgar as the best first mystery, so go figure. Actually, I just did my autobiography, uh, which came out this summer, James Patterson by James Patterson, and it's all stories like how I started, you know, how lucky I was, how crazy it was. Uh, times in advertising, I worked at J. Walter Thompson uh, Advertising, but as I said, I've been clean for 25 years now, so. Okay, but how did you start actually to write it? If you were working for J. Walter Thompson or other people, it takes a lot to be an author when you've been turned down a few times. What happens? Uh, <laughs> how does it start? Uh, I, I you, you just want to do it. Somebody said you're lucky if you find something that you love to do, and then it's a miracle if somebody would pay you to do it. And, and that's what happened with me. But I think if, 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 if you really love to do something, you're going to keep doing it. Uh, and, and, and that's certainly what I did. I didn't have my first hit until I was around 40. Um, I, I had published four or five novels, but no, no big hits until Alex Cross. Where are they? I mean, do you have them all and down the line, are they going to be in Smithsonian eventually so that next, you know, in the next generation, the gnomes or the outer space people will be able to read them. How are they going to be I protected? We'll see. I don't think much about legacy, but uh, yeah, we'll have films. We're about to start filming for Amazon, Alex Cross. And, and I did a, a novel with Dolly Parton, uh, uh, Run, Run, yeah, Run. And yeah. uh, we're getting pretty close to, uh, to shooting that. I actually, I was talking to Dolly this morning. And we just we just got the first draft of the script, which I think is pretty good. So, you know, I don't worry about legacy. What do I care? I'll be dead, you know. Oh, please. <laughs> Not till I finish the interview, at least. Tell oh, me right. okay. tell, tell me about your method of writing. This sounds like a dumbass question. But when I knew Mickey Spillane, which is a thousand years ago, he used to write only in a dark room with one light on, do not ask me why. Is there a certain trick or shtick that you use? You're talking about Mickey Spillane. Growing up, I grew up in Newburgh, New York, and Mickey Spillane had a had a house outside of Newburgh yeah, at Orange right. Lake. And yeah. uh, so I grew up with Mickey Spillane in, in our hometown. He was sort of, my father loved his books. Um, I, I just, I love to write. So I do it every day, seven days a week. Uh, I've got a big office 
And uh, uh, right now we're we're still in New York, so I'm overlooking the river up in Briarcliff Manor, and then and soon we'll go down to Florida, and okay. I'll overlook the ocean. I'm overlooking the river. I'm sorry here in in, uh, in New York, and then overlook the ocean down in uh, down in Florida. Okay, so I'm looking at the new book, which is Blowback. Tell me, actually, how does it start? You pick somebody who you trust to do some of the niggledy higgledy work. How do you? How does it work? How do How do you do that? Well, in the case of Blowback, I did a, a lot of novellas at one point. I was doing four of them a month, and I did need some extra help. And I went searching. I, I actually, there's a book uh, uh, comes out every year, the best uh, mystery short stories. So I went there and I was looking for writers who I thought wrote good scenes. And I found this guy, Brendan Dubois, who was my co-author on Blowback. So we did a couple of these novellas together. And I really liked him, got along with him. Actually, when I called, it was funny. So, so I called his house. He lives up in New Hampshire. And uh, uh, I, I say, hi, it's James Paris. And he hung up on me. He thought I was a crank call. I called him back yeah. again and said, no, 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 don't hang up. It's really James Patterson. <laughs> so, uh, so we got together like that. And now, and, and we just did blowback and, and we're already working on another one on, uh, Alice Cross's partner is John Sampson. And we're doing, uh, Brendan and I are doing a book, uh, a John Sampson book. Yeah. But I don't understand. I don't understand. How does it work? Do you write a paragraph? Does he write a paragraph? Do you do it yeah, back and forth? we alternate words, alternate sentences. No. How does that, uh, how does that no, work? <laughs> how does it work? I will, I will, I will write a, a long uh, outline, uh, 60 to 80 pages. I then will ask the co-writer, depending on the co-writer, but I will ask the co-writer to contribute yeah. uh, to, the, uh, to the outline for two reasons. One, I want the contributions. And secondly, if they contribute, then they're emotionally involved in the project. Um, then, uh, they will start writing. I want to see pages every two weeks or so. Uh, unlike a publisher who will wait for a year and then say, I'm not, I don't like it. So every two weeks <laughs> no. I'll look at pages and, uh, and say, you know, Hey, you're the best or hold it, hold it, hold it. We're losing energy here or the book, the, the, the story's going sideways or, or the tone is wrong or whatever. And then, and then we rewrite write that and it's a lot easier to rewrite 30 pages than it is to rewrite 400 pages okay my friend is judge judy and she hit she mm. moved into a house in new in in newport and she has ducks on her pond and she suddenly got in love with the ducks and she said you and i she and i should write a book about ducks i said what the hell do i know about a duck <laughs> but anyway so we did it and we were turned oh. down by two publishers. So, well, that's par for the course. But you, could, right. but you could never be turned down because you're James Patterson. Have you ever been turned down since the first book? Yeah, I um, I was with a woman uh, for seven years and she died of cancer. This I was in my early 30s and it just blew my world apart. And I, I tried to write a book then and that got, well, I didn't get turned down. I actually destroyed it. It was so crummy. I shredded it. A whole book. I don't even remember the whole story, to be honest with you. So I didn't get turned down on that one, but I did. Uh, I, I, I turned myself down before I, got, before I had to put it in. Yeah, yeah. What does What does James Patterson read besides his own books? What do you read for for your own fun, or do uh, you read? Can you read? Yeah. No, I do. I do. I read a lot of. I, I read some kids' books because I do kids' books. I'm doing. Uh, Right now, I'm reading David uh, Milch. Uh, he has an autobiography out. 
Uh, he created NYPD Red and uh, NYPD, yeah. uh-huh. NYPD yeah. Blue. Um, and that's interesting. I, you know, a writer's life, so that's I'm curious about that. I read some uh, mysteries. Um, I'll read uh, Alan Hildebrand. He writes about uh, sort of romantic stories up in, uh, in Nantucket. So I, I'm kind of all over the lot. I like a lot of different kinds of books. I, occasionally I read some political stuff. Do you actually read mystery books much like what you have been doing? I mean, do you read mystery books? I do some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Connolly and, uh, uh, you know, I have my favorites like like we all do. Uh, uh, if, all... What about this book now, Blowback? Do you send it to the people who you already know, like a Clinton Bush, uh, uh, Biden, if you'll pardon yeah. the expression? Yeah, I do. I do actually. They get they're they're lucky. They're on my free book uh, line. So so Clinton, President Clinton, Clinton's and Bushes both get books from me. Uh, every book, pretty much. Um, and um, uh, well, I don't you know. My 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 family. I have three sisters. They all get free books and. Uh, uh, a few other, a couple of friends, a couple of high school friends. It's interesting when I, I did, I mentioned the autobiography, James Patterson by James Patterson. And um, uh, right after, like two days after it came out, one of my best friends from high school called up and he started crying on the phone. He said it so touched him, which was, which was really wonderful uh, to have that kind of reaction. Yeah. Give me, I mean, the book is so good, but give me a great scene in blowback. It's very exciting, but uh, tell us one particular scene that we should all hear about. Well, uh, you know, there, what, what happens is you have this president, and he is very charismatic, uh, Keegan Barrett, and, uh, uh, and, and he is bright, but, but he's a psychopath. And, and in two cases, he brings in – he had run the CIA for a while before he was president, and, and he brings in – uh, kind of a hot shot go getter from the CIA, real young guy, and and uh, named Liam Gray, and, and he says basically, you know, we have enemies around the world who are doing terrible things, and and we just have to play on the same plane that they do. So he he convinces uh, Liam Gray that Liam Gray is going to go out there and basically uh, uh, be his rogue agent, and he, then he does the same thing a few chapters later, another uh, agent, Noah Hamill, woman. NOA, um, and convinces her that she's going to do the same thing in the United States. So he, he sets off these two young people on a, uh, adventures, which are totally illegal. And those are kind of fun chapters, scary. At the same time that you have this wonderful book out, you also have just done a book on Megan and Harry. I am extremely unfond of me, 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 Megan. Tell us a little about that book, and why the hell would you be doing a book now on Megan and Harry? On, I'm sorry, on, on on Diana, you mean? Yeah. No, yeah. Diana. Well, but it was, yes, on Diana and, and the whole group, yes. Diana and the boys, yeah, Diana and sons, yeah. yeah. Diana, uh, 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 I, you know, I... I uh, I would never have done it in a million years if it was just a book about the princess. But I like the idea of writing about her as a mother, which really had not been done, I think, in a, in a, in a, in a full book. And about the effect of the crown on her and, uh, and on the boys, the, that, that pressure to conform and, and uh, follow tradition and, and duty, which obviously uh, Elizabeth did and I guess uh, William is doing. 
but it was too much for Harry and too much for Diana. Uh, but I like the idea of telling her story as, as, as a mother. And, and that was really closer. I mean, she was a, a, a you know, a, a, a kindergarten, a preschool kind of teacher before she was, uh, before she was married. And, um, uh, I, I think that's more the core of who she was being a mother than, than necessarily, you know, being a future queen. It was a very good book. It was a very good book. I can't, I don't want to keep you any longer on this. I would just like to ask you with your sisters, could you not put me on your free list for the future? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody listen. You, you're on the free list. No, 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 you're not. I'm sorry. You gotta, you, you gotta go to the library or the bookstore or go online. Please, please uh, but, watch but your blow mouth. Back, blow back. Old, we'll, we'll, uh, you'll, you'll, people will like it. Every once in a while I do a good one and blowbacks a good one. So uh, it's been Thanks wonderful talking. talking to you. Thank yeah, you, yeah, honey. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye-bye. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Okay, I have now been on for an hour. I am going to get a sandwich because I'm hungry and I love you. And please tune me in again next week. By then, I won't be hungry. Love you. Bye. <laughs>